1: To the Total Soccer Show and the Weekend Review. On today's show, we're talking about the start of the Africa Cup of Nations, its locations, its celebrations and its complications. We're looking at the English FA Cup, which sent some vibrations through some Premier League teams with ideas above their stations. In Italy, Juventus made some declarations, while Roma had some defensive frustrations. In Spain, Barcelona's aspirations once again didn't meet their fans' expectations. And in Germany, Germany, Borussia Dortmund gave some indications the title race might not have ceased operations. My name is Ryan Bailey. It's good to be back from vacations. And I think all of that rhymed with Africa Cup of Nations. Joining me today is a man whose voice is sweeter than a Danny Elves cross, Mr. Taylor Rockwell. Hello, sir.
2: Hello. That was quite the introduction. Uh, I especially appreciate you going straight to the celebrations of AFCON because... Twice it seemed like we were about to get the choreographed team-wide celebration and then it did not take off. I'm hoping that happens in the later rounds and they're just keeping their powder dry until then.
1: Absolutely. And I'm delighted that uh, I picked a word that rhymes with so many other things like nations yep. this week, Taylor. <laughs> Wonderful work from me. I hear
2: that's why they named it that. That's why the <laughs> tournament is named that, so that uh, <laughs> podcast hosts can have rhyming introductions pretty easily. For my benefit and my
1: benefit mm-hmm. alone. That's very good to hear. Um, what did you think about Danny Alves coming back to Barcelona real quick, Taylor? I think um, pretty happy with his performance, maybe. Are you as happy as Sergio Des' agent about that?
2: Uh, we'll see. We'll see if Chelsea end up uh, needing him, uh, in which case he's just going to find himself surplus to requirement everywhere. But uh, listeners to last week's shows will know that my plan for Barcelona is to bring back the treble winning team uh, and just have them all be coaches slash occasional players. And so, yeah, Dani Alva's being back in the team. It's just one step in that direction, Ryan. One further step. That's great for my United. (laughs) The
1: the voice you just heard there is the man who loves an FA Cup upset possibly as much as he loves his wife and kids. I
3: mean, uh, is that saying much? No, I'm kidding on.
1: All right. That was exactly the response I wanted, Grant. Thank you. I
3: know, I know it was. I know it was, and and I obliged. How are you, Ryan Bailey?
1: I'm very good indeed. It's good to be back with you, fellas, indeed. And the fourth fella in this discussion is a man who's adjusting his circadian rhythms to Cameroonian time as we speak. Arizona Joe Lowry, AJ, how's it going?
4: It's going well, Ryan. I think you might be right, given it feels like I'm up in the middle of the night here. It's not that early out here in Phoenix, but it's early enough right now. Ryan, it's good to have you back. Graham, that was really funny. Taylor, I don't (laughs) like your plan for Barcelona. What's up, everybody?
1: Well, we're putting the world to rights in the intro, it sounds like here. <laughs> AJ. AJ, I'm going with, by the way, for the rest of the podcast. Hope you don't mind that. Um, I did look up Cameroonian time. It's the same time zone that I'm in, so that's super convenient for me. Maybe not for the rest of you guys, but we shall see. Adjust your sleep cycle accordingly, Joseph. Uh, we're going to be talking about plenty on this show, including the Africa Cup of Nations, as I mentioned, uh, and the FA Cup, which started, uh, the third round started over the weekend, where big matches, of course, in Italy, Spain, and Germany as well. All Lots to talk about here. Uh, we're going to talk about the FA Cup a little later, but I wanted to tease it, gents, if you don't mind, with the very best moment of the weekend. I don't know if you caught this. Uh, Charlton, Charlton versus Norwich in the FA Cup on Sunday. You probably didn't catch this game, but I saw a tweet from Aaron Flanagan of the Daily Star who sent a picture on, on the Twitters. Uh, elite level poop housery from Charlton, he writes, who at half time in the Norwich game showed extended highlights of the day Norwich were relegated from the championship in <laughs> they showed it on the big screen while Norwich was visiting their stadium and that is the best poop poophousery I think I've ever seen Taylor what do you think of that?
2: I mean it's also just getting them ready for the end of this season as well so in that way it's a nice sort of look back and look ahead at the same time well the the
1: funniest thing is Jens I actually looked into that season Charlton were also relegated with Norwich that season They were seven points below Norwich They were both relegated So I don't quite know What the logic was Also it didn't work Because Norwich Went out in the second half And scored And it finished 1-0 to Norwich Who will now face Wolves In the next round So,
3: So Ryan The best moment of the weekend Wasn't Boreham Wood Knocking Wimbledon out No
1: so Afcon, welcome to Afcon, <laughs> uh, the thirty-third <33rd laughs> Africa Cup of Nations. Thank you very much, Graham. Uh, in Cameroon, this was, of course, twenty-four teams, six groups of four, leading to a final round of sixteen. Uh, same sort of, similar sort of format to the Euros. Uh, it's on B Sports, Taylor. Uh, it Started on Sunday. Your initial impressions of this tournament, sir.
2: Uh, give me one second. I'm taking a, a brief break, and then I'll be back. Probably, maybe I'm taking a hydration break. We're in t- we're not entirely certain. Yeah, there was I some see weird you did breaks there. to I this see what broadcast. You did there. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> and Joe, to his credit, was like, "Is anyone else having?" like a strangeness with the feed. And I think because I was sort of passively watching at the time, I just assumed it was multiple hydration breaks, not realizing that. No, it was just cutting in and out. Uh, but we didn't miss too much, I don't think. And it was it was a fun opener. I'm glad that Cameroon, the hosts, uh, got the win. But yeah, a strange start to the tournament from a coverage perspective. But maybe that was to be expected, given that it's been sort of a strange tournament to begin with. Cameroon, supposed to host in 2019. Then that was pushed back to, I think, June and July of 2021. Then they were going to move it forward to January of 2021 to avoid the monsoon season. Then pushed back a year due to COVID. And now here we are. Players getting released late. Lots of positive tests. I believe there is still an open conflict in certain parts of Cameroon. But all that put aside for the opening game, which the hosts won. And I'm going to assume that is the way they wanted to start this tournament.
1: Indeed. A little bit more I was learning, Taylor. Um, this actually clashes with the Club World Cup as well, the FIFA Club World Cup. And Al-Ali are going to play Monterey in the Club World Cup on the 5th of February. Yep. That's the day before the Cup of Nations final. Uh, six Al-Ali players mm. are in the Egypt squad. Uh, so if they're in the final, there's a little bit of conflict there, I'd say, Taylor.
2: Yeah, I'd say I'd say so as well. I did note that there are six Al-Ali players in the Egypt squad and six Zamalek players. Maybe that's just random, but I do like to think that those two teams disliking each other as much as they do you have to have a balance of players otherwise things could boil over indeed why don't we have a little chat about the opening game then as you uh
1: hinted at there taylor <clears throat> cameroon against a uh, uh, 2013 finalist bikini of Hasso, cameroon being the host of this tournament they won 2-1 uh two penalties from their captain vincent abubakar good penalties as well very enjoyable joe what did you make of this game it's my headline for this game was that was fun
4: It was. It really was. And it was weird tactically. I like to watch these games through a tactical lens... It was tricky at times to figure out what exactly Cameroon was doing. It was a little bit easier to figure out what Burkino Faso was doing because they didn't spend as much time playing with the ball as Cameroon did. From from Burkino Faso, it was a lot more defending some resolute blocks, things like that. They were in this base 4-4-2 shape, at least as I saw it, defensively, that then shifted into a back five when one of the wings dropped deeper to provide some extra cover. We see that from teams around the world, especially ones that, that are going to be defending for large periods of time. Cameroon, though, like I said, was a little bit more confusing and part of me thinks that's by design with the personnel they have in the back line they can go through a back four they can play through a back four or they can play through a back three and they did both of those things in this game the x factor at least in that that back line space i thought was seattle sounders very own Nuhu. who right he yeah. was playing this versatile left-sided fullback center back role and he'd be a wing back sometimes overlapping or he'd be tucked into the back line and, and providing the the anchor spot on the left side of that back line and he had a huge impact on this game. He was really good defensively. He was energetic. He was mobile. He was focused in. And I thought he nailed a lot of his positioning. And then he was making some really important moves into the attack as well. He draws the second penalty in the first half, the second goal of this game for Cameroon. Essentially, he he creates and Abubakar finishes. And I, I don't think we can talk really too much about Nuhu in this game. But there were other intriguing elements as well from Cameroon. At times, like I said, back three. And it looked more like a 3-5-2 with Ikambi and Abubakar up front. Other times it was more of a lopsided 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. And really all of those, those numbers are just to try and give listeners, as I tried to give myself, some framework for watching Cameroon in this game. It was very fluid, a little bit hard to pin down. And I think that made Burkino Faso's lives pretty challenging.
1: Yeah, uh, plenty of uh, uh, players from MLS in this tournament. Nuhu, of course, uh, arguably one of the stars of this uh, tournament so far, if I may go so far to say that. 404 players from European-based teams as well. Graham, I said my headline for this game was fun. I think my subhead might be chaos. Um, <laughs> within the first 40 seconds, we had a pretty wild challenge, a studs-up at groin level tackle.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was the perfect opener for a tournament that is uh, frequently renowned for its its chaos. 40 seconds in, as you say, a tackle from Yago uh, uh, Burkino Faso player. I, I can't really figure out why he wasn't sent off, other than oh, obviously it happened so early in the match, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was chaotic. Everything from... You know, uh, Andre Onana also had a very chaotic opening 10 minutes. I do have some sympathy because this is only his f- uh, fifth match since returning from a nine-month drugs ban. And this was probably the most high profile of those five matches. But you could see the anxiety in how he started the match. He he obviously makes the, the misjudgment for the goal. By the way, that finish by Singari at the back post oh was not easy at all. The technique on that was, was incredible. However, once Onana settled down a bit... Um, we saw why he's so highly rated and, and why he'll be crucial to this Cameroon team. And in and, and general, that was a theme for this Cameroon team. Once they kind of got a grip of the match, once uh, Zambo and Giza um, in particular started to take a grip of the game yeah. uh, at the base of midfield, it just felt like Cameroon's
4: quality kind of told in the end. Graham, I'm, I'm with you. And Giza in particular, I'm so glad you mentioned him He played a little bit higher up in this game than I expected him to, and especially watching this game go on, he was playing more as an 8, you know, in front of a number 6 in this game, and I think as the game progressed, he started to drop a little bit deeper, or at least the game found him more, he found good spots to pick up the ball. And I thought that helped Cameroon gain more control. I mean, he he helps earn, or he does earn, excuse me, the penalty in the, in the first half that leads to Abubakar's first penalty kick goal that gets Cameroon level. But he did so many other things in the run of play in midfield, spraying passes around, driving the ball forward. And Giza a player I really liked. And, and overall, Cameroon's performance in this game is something that I liked. I think they're the favorites to finish on top of Group A over Burkina Faso, over Cape Verde, over Ethiopia. I think they have the talent to make a pretty significant run in this tournament. They need to sharpen some things up in the attack, but I assume that some of that will come with game reps. But overall, in Giza in combi, and Akambi, and I really liked Abubakar up top as the nine. You've got Nuhu covering ground on the left. There's a lot to like about this Cameroon team. Tell you yeah.
2: Go, go yeah, up. I want to talk about Abu Bakar,
4: man. Yeah, I was going to lead that, you there.
2: <laughs> those penalties, goodness gracious. The first one, very good. The second one, especially good, watching it again and realizing that he does not look at the ball from the time he starts yeah. his run up on that second one. He is watching the goalkeeper mm. the entire way and then ends up looking the goalkeeper off. He faints like he's going to the side that he is actually going to, then stares at the opposite side. Goalkeeper dives in that direction. He passes it into the first uh, side of the goal, and it was very impressive that he switches sides, but just... Just the calmness of that finish on both occasions that uh, for as chaotic of a start as it was and with Cameroon down 1-0, if that was maybe more questionable, I wonder if maybe there would have been some some nerves heading into halftime. But instead, he's cool, calm, and collected, and it's a 2-1 win. Uh, I will go back to that yellow card, that opening yellow card, just to say, not trying to take too many shots at the commentator, but he begins by saying... Um, Like, oh, you have to wonder why there's like, a yellow card given this early. Like, usually the referee wouldn't let that happen. And then, <laughs> like, pretty clearly hadn't seen it happen live. Like, maybe had looked away to get a <laughs> cup of coffee or something. And then gets the replay, and we get that fun moment of the commentator mid- confusion about something immediately pivoting to the other side and it went from ah you you gotta wonder about that one like it's very early in the game a yellow card seems premature maybe that could have been a red card though it could have probably been a red card how quickly he switched I did appreciate uh even if the game did not devolve into the chaos that I had hoped it might in the opening uh moments of this one still a fun game overall
1: very fun. It's generous, Taylor, that you think the uh, the commentator might be having a coffee break 40 seconds into this game, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll see <laughs> about settled. that. Just getting settled. Uh, just getting situated. Just getting a little, yeah, yeah. Time for a break. Uh, we've seen a good 30 seconds of this game already. <laughs> um, Cam- Cameroon, according to Jonathan Wilson in The Guardian, have an unbeaten home record in competitive games going all the way back to 1973 which is pretty incredible. Uh, they last hosted this tournament 50 years ago. They are five-time winners. Uh, the other game on Sunday, Ethiopia against Cape Verde. Cape Verde getting a 1-0 win in this one. Kit Watch, Graham, you have oh, some comments yeah. about Cape Verde's outfit here.
3: Yeah, so this is this is one of the best kits of, of the tournament, certainly of those that I have I've, I've seen. I'm not sure I have actually seen all of them. There might be some away kits and so on that I haven't seen, some third kits, but... Yeah, this, this is a really nice one. Lovely use of pattern, nice gold typeface and trim. Um, so I might have to try and source this one. Sourcing African kits isn't always easy. You can kind of get uh, Ivory Coast and Nigeria and I saw Ethiopia on classic football shirts the other day. So it might be quite difficult. I might have to put in the effort, but I think it will be worth it. This is is a beauty, this one. My one knock on the kit was
2: that the manager was wearing a suit that was almost the exact same color. And so multiple times I kept trying to figure out how they were allowed to have 12 players on the field and why one of them stayed so wide the whole time. And then I would eventually realize that it was the manager. I doubt... I doubt uh, Ethiopia had issues with that one, but I found that confusing. I also found pronoun- pronouncing the name of the country we're talking about confusing because there seemed to be a couple different ones. I have always done Cape Verde, and it seems like it's either Capiverge or Cape Verde, and I don't know how to feel about either one of those things.
4: Well, Taylor, it, it does make sense because Portuguese, I believe, is the primary language yep. in this particular country, and so... I cannot be relied upon to pronounce anything that's Portuguese correctly, which I, I do pr- <laughs> apologize for. But it's hard to nail that down. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's tricky. Also, one other thing. Uh, Graham talking about finding the kit for – shoot. Well, now I feel self-conscious about how I'm going to pronounce it. Uh, what, <laughs> do you want to come to a consensus real quick so I can say this thing? See, I think it's is... Cape,
2: Cape Verde if you want to go – or Cape Verde Verd. if you want to go English or Capi Verde if you want to go Portuguese sort of. I'll go, See, Cape, is... I'll go
3: Cape Verde. This is the Bruno Fernandez principle again, where I've, I've said this for too long in my life, I'm not changing now, so it's uh, Cape Verde until the day I die. <laughs> you don't
2: want to go Bruno <laughs> Fernandes? Oh. No.
4: Oh. <laughs> no. Okay, okay I'm going <laughs> to no. say my thing and we can talk about this game, darn it. Um, the, the Cape Verde, when Graham's talking about trying to get a kit for Cape Verde, uh, I just like how he said, you know, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be difficult. Graham, you trying to find a kit sounds exactly like every manager ever trying to prepare for a game in a, you know, like a pre-game press conference. Uh-huh. I think you have that tendency. Um, just shopping for kits is basically your version of, African yeah, absolutely.
3: I put in as much effort, yeah, as much <laughs> research and homework. Aubrey Coming Gallo. back
1: to the game, um, this was there was an odd moment, Joe. Cape Verde they had a free kick, they scored from it, but the referee blew up for a VAR check. Um he ran over and sort of monitor and came back like no no goal had been scored at all from the free kick, gave a red card, <laughs> then Cape verde took the free kick again and hit the wall. I was confused by that sequence, Joe.
4: I was a little bit confused by that sequence as well. There was some interesting varing in both of these games, really. The VAR screen is satisfyingly far away from the field, at least certainly for the referee, <laughs> who sort of gets to guzzle down the spotlight a little bit in those particular moments. I'm not entirely sure what happened there, Ryan. It's unfortunate that that red card for Ethiopia in this game, who I think are the favorites to finish bottom of this group. They don't have the top-end talent that really any of the other teams in this group do between Cape Verde and Burkina Faso and and Cameroon especially. But nonetheless, I still enjoyed this game. I enjoyed both of these games, guys, so much more than I think I've enjoyed any game in a a really long time. Something so fun about tuning in, watching a tournament, learning a lot of things. Maybe that's the thing I enjoyed the most is, is getting a chance to learn and to see players and teams that I don't get to watch very often, I just, I don't know, it reminded me so much of why I love soccer. And weirdly, this game more even than the opener. And I, don't, I can't fully explain why that is, but maybe it's the, the, the less heralded names, a lot of the players in this game that I just wasn't as familiar with. Maybe it's Jamiro Montero bossing the game for Cape Verde, which is not really the case, but he did have the MLS assist on the, sec, on the, on the, on the only goal, excuse me, for, for Cape Verde in this game. Kipford come out in this 3-4-3 shape that usually looks like a 3-4 in possession or a 3-1-6 in possession with Jamiro Montero and Santos pushing ahead of Borges in midfield. They have depth and they have width in possession. Gary Rodriguez, I thought was a star. I believe he plays in Greece for his club, but he was making these runs in behind, really providing some depth and some verticality for their attack. And then up front, man, the talent is real in this game for this team. I, I liked Julio Tavares a lot as this big-bodied 9. He does get the goal in this game to give his team a 1-0 lead. Just so much in this game to like. And it would have been even better without that red card to, to kind of cool things off a little bit in the 12th minute, I believe. But man, I'm, I'm having a blast watching these games, guys.
1: Well, that blast will continue for about a month, Joseph. Uh, there's plenty of games to come in this tournament. Senegal-Zimbabwe happening as we record. Morocco and Ghana are also playing today and a few others. Uh, why don't we look a little farther ahead and maybe talk about the players we're interested in watching. Taylor, um, as I mentioned, there are MLS players in here. We've seen Nuhu already. Jonathan Mensah from Columbus Cruz here with Ghana. Um, Teenager DB from Houston is with Zimbabwe. And then we've got the big names. Yorba Miongs, Yosadio Mane, Salahs, Celestine Heller and so on. Taylor, who are you looking forward to seeing? In this tourney,
2: yeah, there's a couple ones. I'll start with uh, a player that I was not familiar with until I was doing my research. As Joe said, I'm in this. I'm in a similar position of enjoying learning about players that I'm less familiar with or teams that I'm less familiar with. In this case, Odilon Kosonu, uh, the Ivory Coast left back, uh, plays for Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, he was one that stood out. He seems to be a regular performer for them. Uh, but at six foot three, right footed center back, who's very good in the air. But the thing that I was noting in watching him is how. Quickly, he adjusts to when he wants to step. He seems to read the game really, really well and has really solid reflexes. So routinely, I saw him, both for club and country, stepping in and winning sort of balls into feet and then driving forward with it. So uh, the way he sort of reads the game and plays proactively and then helps kind of win the ball high up the pitch for the Avricos to then continue possession, I think he could be pretty interesting. Another one that I was uh, less familiar with would be Mohamed Kudush, uh, Ghanaian uh, central midfielder, plays for Ajax, but is uh, very young, uh, 21 years old, Uh, wears the number 10 for young Ajax when he played for them, does now play for the senior team, but has not played for them since November, got a rib injury while he was on international duty. And I say he's a player to watch if he ends up playing, because he has only just returned to training. Ajax do not think he should have been released, but he is in uh, Ghana's squad, and I think the assumption is that they will give him some time And then as because of the expanded format, there's an expectation that they'll qualify for the next round. And that's when you could see him brought in. But watching him play, he is a left footed playmaker. He can spread the ball. He can find those through passes. He can hit a shot. And I think could be very important for a a Ghana team that doesn't have a ton of expectations, isn't in sort of their prime, but I think could spring a surprise with the right combinations. Graham, anyone else we should look for?
3: Yeah so of of the big names that the one that I'm most looking forward to watching is Sebastian Hilaire, uh, Hilaire, just obviously because we've seen plenty of him for Ajax this season he's currently the top goal scorer in the Champions League and so I'm interested to see if he can translate that form into um into this tournament for Ivory Coast he's a he's a pure goal scorer obviously and if Ivory Coast can create the chances for him then I suggest he'll score a lot of goals in this tournament the other um I'm going to run through another three very quickly so two of them are young players so um Hannibal Mejbri I'm I'm afraid um I'm not sure how to pronounce that second name because everyone just calls him Hannibal um he is a player that I have read a lot about um he is widely considered my next academy player to come through he was great for tunisia at the arab cup in qatar which was sort of like a pre-world cup rehearsal tournament and um, and i want to see him make his mark at this tournament before he makes it big at manchester United. he's not guaranteed to start games for tunisia but i think he could um make a an impact off the bench another young player is uh Elij Moriba for uh Guinea, who he was a breakout star for Barcelona in the second half of last season. I watched a lot of him. I liked a lot of what I saw. I thought I thought he was brilliant. And then he left for RB Leipzig and we just haven't seen all that much of him since then. So I I think he has the potential to be a really great player. So I just want to see him play. I want to see more of him, given that he's not at Barcelona anymore and he's not playing as much. And then the third player, is, uh, or sorry, the fourth player in total, um, is Stephen Cocker, who uh, is a bit of a weird one because obviously he has an England cap to his name but he's since switched to Sierra Leone and just for the novelty factor of seeing a player that we've all watched many times but now we're watching him in a slightly different setting that is an interesting storyline to me so I'm not sure he's maybe he might not be a player of the tournament contender but um he, and, and he's someone that I'll be
4: keeping an eye out for.
1: Joseph Lowry uh any players or teams you're looking forward to
4: seeing here? I'll go more on the team side, I guess, just to give a little variety here. Senegal certainly has to be one of the teams that I am most... It certainly is one of the teams I'm most excited to watch. It certainly has to be one of the favorites of this tournament. They're dealing with a small, or at least it feels small-ish, COVID breakout in their squad right now. So they're missing uh, missing a couple of really important players in Mendian and in Koulibaly, certainly for the game they're playing right now as we're recording but, man, you look at the talent in that squad. Sadio Mane up top. They have talent in midfield with Idrissa They have Czech Cuyate. There's, there's so much quality there, especially as you move higher up the field. And still some anchors in the back as well. That's a really impressive team and a really impressive squad that I think is going to do damage in this tournament. They're probably the team that I'm most looking forward to watching But Algeria has got to be another one, right? You think about the star power they have in Riyad Mahrez. There's talent in other levels of that squad and other lines as well. I think there's a real potential for them to win this whole thing, just as I think there is for Senegal, especially if Senegal can get healthy towards the end of the group stage and into the knockout rounds. I think that could work out really well for them. Algeria is another team I've got my eye on in this tournament.
1: Taylor, who you got your eye on?
2: I have my eye on, uh, the two clubs, uh, two teams, excuse me, that Joe just mentioned for sure. Algeria, the reigning champions, returning, I think, nine of 11 starters from the team that won last time round and have not lost in 34 games, the world record being 37. So we could see Algeria set that world record in this tournament. A team wow. that will try to prevent them from doing so would be Senegal, the runners up in the last, uh, iteration of this competition. Uh, to Joe's point, missing some players at time of recording in the 87th minute. They are in a nil-nil draw with Zimbabwe, who are 101 places behind them in the FIFA ranking. That is probably not how Senegal wanted to start this competition, but I think still will be a strong team, as will uh, Cameroon, the hosts. And then Morocco. I have uh, thoughts on Morocco and Egypt. I think they're both going to be pretty, pretty fascinating. Morocco with manager uh, Vahid uh, uh is very much in charge. He has left off key players like Hakim Ziyech of Chelsea, uh, Masraoui of Ajax, Amin Harit of Marseille. And there was some speculation that that could come back to haunt him. But given that he has 14 wins, 5 draws, only 1 loss in his time in charge of the national team. Seems like maybe it will not. And there's still plenty of talent around uh, this team. Including Atraf Hakimi, Roman Saiz, uh, Youssef N. Nazri, who I will never be able to pronounce properly. Nasiri, however you're supposed to say it. And then Munir El Hadad And Nasiri. Uh, finally able to play for uh, Morocco, and I'm excited to see what this team can do. Even without some of those stars, I think they will be very good, and I think Egypt will be, be very good as long as Mohamed Salah is in that team. They've got a lot of domestic players, as we've talked about. They've got some names we know, like Mohamed Neni and Trezeguet and Ahmed Higazi. They've got younger attackers as well, and I think watching them play... It's very clear that like Mohamed Salah brings Liverpool to Egypt and he is playing everything very quickly. It's one and two touch. And I remember seeing Egypt without him and they are a much slower, more sort of route one team with him in there. It's a lot of quick passing combinations, a lot of quick counterattacks and just kind of high intensity across the board. Uh, A player that is heavily involved in that would be Galatasaray striker Mustafa Mohamed, who's just very similar to Mohamed Salah and what I saw of him of just running people down putting that pressure winning the ball back high up and then making things happen from there uh so egypt another team that i think could make a pretty decent run in this competition
1: excellent stuff and plenty to come from this Afro- african tournament plenty to keep you listening up from uh doing your day job properly over the mm-hmm. coming days we'll take a quick break a quick water break if you will a hydration break we'll be back uh with fa cup and much more shortly
2: So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer
0: to the game than ever before?
1: Total Soccer Show, we are back. We are talking FA Cup third round. It's that time of year, Graham. Some Premier League teams entering the tournament and some upsets. Why don't we start with one of the biggest ones, Newcastle nil. Cambridge United of League 1, 41 places below Newcastle, (laughs) 1. Kieran Trippier's debut did not go well for Newcastle here. Newcastle still only won one game this season. Graham, the, the best stat here is that Cambridge have beaten the same out of Premier League teams this season as Newcastle have. Wow. Ouch,
3: that is a sore one. <laughs> um, I couldn't understand why this one wasn't picked for TV coverage in the UK. Because it quite clearly had upset written all over it, right from, right from the start. Yeah, this, this was a, a really poor performance from Newcastle. I thought the poorest thing about their performance was the way that they failed to respond after going behind, which it was just feeble. There was no fight, nothing at all. And what this match made clear was they are probably going to need to move for a striker in this window. Obviously, Callum Wilson is out for a long while. Um, I've seen Chris Wood linked, the Burnley striker. I actually quite like that. Um, because Newcastle have just signed an excellent crosser of the ball and Kieran Trippier who you just mentioned there Ryan so find someone who can finish these, finish those crosses and they might be onto something but yeah this this was a I think this was a reflection of where this Newcastle team is at the moment and they are not very good
2: Hey Graham I had a quick question for you I don't know how his his move is advancing or if it is at all but would Anthony Martial make Newcastle better is that a move that you could see them like like theoretically going for and that he wants to leave man united he wants playing opportunities
3: seems like they need a goal scorer seems like he could fit in there and make something happen i mean he would definitely make them better but it's not very not very difficult with that team that newcastle have got at the moment i don't think um yeah i would i would maybe be looking for more of a traditional front man like yeah. chris Wood. obviously marshall is a much better technically uh, technical player than uh, than chris Wood, but just for the sake of getting someone in who... Remember when Newcastle were bought over and we said they need to sign players who can get them away from the bottom of the Premier League before they can go out and actually get the world-class players? That That is Chris Wood to me. That actually is like quite a sensible signing. So I think Marshall likely is on his way to Spain. But he would make them better, certainly. I, I just think maybe he um, maybe wouldn't be the front man that they need.
1: Taylor, the last Newcastle game I watched before this was the one against Man United just yeah. after the holidays where they made themselves look rather good against man united and then they go and do this i'm confused this looks bad for man united is my logic there
2: (laughs) i mean that that's fair i think it probably looks a little bit worse for newcastle just because (laughs) this would have been an opportunity to not slack off but instead show there is a response they can fight on multiple fronts they will have that response that i think newcastle fans would like to see them have and instead to see them not really muster that much they get the goal that's called back for offside but that aside It wasn't a particularly strong performance. It wasn't as though they battered Cambridge, and Cambridge just felt like like were able to scrape their way through Newcastle, have plenty of opportunities, and had some great goalkeeping. But I also think that Cambridge sort of took the game to Newcastle at times, and I think that that is probably not what Eddie Howe wanted to see, and I think, once again, underlines how much work still has to be done if they're going to stay up and stay competitive this season.
1: Uh, Graham, one more note on this game. Cambridge's kit, Hummel, uh, which I know is a favorite of yours. um, Mm -hmm. And sort of the pattern on it was like a orange tv test card like just lines everywhere what do you
3: think <laughs> yeah it was nice the, the the thing about cambridge united is has their badge always been like that with the big yeah. c and the big c and the big u I, i've never ever noticed that before and it's a it's a strange one i'm not sure when that was designed but it, yeah it stands out is it stranger than uh
2: kieran trippier being really excited to have kayak as a shirt sponsor did you see that photogram because <laughs> that made me
3: so happy today I think he was actually pointing to a tiny, tiny, tiny little Spurs badge that's on the, 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 the Newcastle shirt this season.
1: Graham, on on oh the Cambridge badge, out. Graham, we'd just be glad that it's not the Cambridge United national team. I'll say no more about that one. Uh, Chelsea-Chesterfield. Chelsea getting a 5-1 win here. Uh, Graham, very impressive. 6,000 Chesterfield fans yeah. uh, coming to Stamford Bridge for this one. It's, it does show the uniqueness of this tournament, I suppose, and the uniqueness of English soccer as well. Uh, Chesterfield being in the sixth division. Taking six thousand fans uh, because the, the 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 gate system is a little different in the FA Cup and you can bring more away fans and the gate is split differently as well.
3: Yeah, and and that is incredible. The the depth of of English football I I don't think is is matched anywhere in the world. The fact that a team like Chesterfield can take that number of fans to a, to a game. Um, I thought this match in general showed the the beauty and the ugliness of the FA Cup. So an upset was never really on the cards due to the gulf between top Premier League teams and lower league teams and so in that respect it it sort of highlighted how the appeal of the competition is dwindling slightly when the whole competition is sold on upsets and the potential of upsets and you start a match and you go there's no chance of an upset here it does uh, kind of dwindle the appeal but then Chesterfield got to celebrate a goal at 5-1 and boy did they celebrate it those 6,000 fans went absolutely nuts
1: and uh, Taylor Lewis Hall in in defence for Chelsea here
2: yeah, uh, a player that it seems the response has been very calm, very measured, not at all that he is the next great uh, yeah. player and should start every single game. 17 years old, involved in multiple goals, had a very strong game. The question, as always, is uh, if you can do it against Chesterfield, does that equate to Champions League and Premier League, or will yes. Chelsea need to strengthen in January? I think it would be cool if they didn't. I think it would be cool if they if they rolled the dice a little bit and tried to see what happened with Lewis Hall. That said, again, I don't know how much stock you want to put in that one until he has more opportunities and more competitive games under his belt but a very very strong game from him and again at 17 years of age you can't ask for much more than that
1: frank lampard would have rolled the dice wouldn't he too? i mean obviously yeah
2: obviously. <laughs> and lost <laughs> unless it's serginio <laughs> death then get him in there let's make that happen real <laughs> fast
1: uh, on Sunday night, Arsenal lost to Nottingham Forest of the Championship at City Aww. Ground. Uh, Arsenal, Graham, wearing some nice all-white kits, but not playing quite like Real Madrid in those kits.
3: Yeah, yeah, that was the line a number of people. What was it Roy Keane said? They they, they looked like Real Madrid, but played like a pub team, which uh, yeah. kind of summed things up quite nicely. I mean, they were super, super slick, those those kits. And obviously, they came with a, with a great message as well. You know, they weren't just wearing them for for the sake of it. Um, 2021 was the worst, worst year for knife violence in London. London, so, 27 teenagers were stabbed to death in the city, which is obviously just shocking. And so the, the No More Reds campaign is designed to highlight that. Obviously, um, Arsenal taking the, the red out of their badge, out of their kit, that obviously, um, showcasing that campaign. Idris Elba was involved in it and Ian Wright, obviously as a former Arsenal player was also involved in it. So it was a shame that <laughs> this match will maybe be synonymous with a, with a cup upset rather than maybe a, a message that really could, um, could use some public awareness.
1: Indeed. Uh, According to Opta Joe, Arsenal were eliminated from the third round of the FA Cup for only the second time across the last 26 seasons. The other time, also against Nottingham Forest. Um, Forest are going to be playing Leicester in the next round. Leicester uh, easily dispatched Watford 4-1. Do we care, Graham?
3: I'd just forgotten that Leicester were the cup holders, to be honest. 2021 and 2020 and 2019 have all merged into one year for me. So yes, obviously I I remembered that they had at some point won the FA Cup. I just wasn't uh, 100% certain it was actually last season, but yes, it was. Indeed.
1: Let's rattle through a few more of these FA Cup games. Tottenham beat Morecambe 3-1. Morecambe did take the lead in London in this one. Uh, Harry Wink scoring nicely from a direct free free kick from a crazy angle in that one. Joe, did you know morecam and nicknamed the shrimpers and they have a shrimp on their badge it's very fun
4: brian i love that i did not know that but now i feel like i'm basically having dinner at red lobster right now so go on
1: They are like a fishing town and it's a big old shrimp on their crest. It's very, I think, very fun. Indeed. I
2: think there are two teams named the Shrimpers. And now I'm a little bit concerned that maybe there's there's a derby, there's a rivalry that we need to have happen. I'm pretty sure Southend South End United are also the Shrimpers.
1: Oh, you might be right. Yeah,
3: that sounds a bit right. Yeah, South End are also called the Shrimpers.
1: <laughs> yeah. So many coastal towns with shrimp in I'm them. so excited
3: for this. The shrimp Amazing. derby. <laughs>
1: the shrimp battle. Tottenham, uh, there will be no shrimp battle in the FA Cup. Tottenham will host Brighton in the next round. Uh, Shrewsbury, or Shrovesbury, if you're that way persuaded, uh, they had the lead at Anfield for seven whole minutes before losing 4-1 to Liverpool. Roberto Firmino, Graham scoring a cheeky backheel in that one.
3: It was was a lovely little finish, but my favourite moment in this match was uh, Dan Udo, who scores the first goal for Shrewsbury doing the I don't even know how to pronounce it to be honest whatever the whatever Ronaldo says when he scores a goal he does that celebration at Anfield which was one of my moments of the third round it's even funnier because uh, Shrewsbury's lead only uh, lasted only 8 minutes <laughs> but if you're going to take your shot you might as well make the most of it while it lasts and he certainly did
1: sure, indeed Graham um, non-league Borum would as you inferred earlier in the show Graham they made history reaching the fourth round as well 2-0 win over <clears throat> AFC Wimbledon uh, that one was on ESPN plus as as were many other games very nice to see that from my perspective Uh, Borum Wood managed by Luke Garrard who was a Wimbledon Ledge Back in the day in his playing days as well. And also, um, Ted Lasso was there. And Jamie Tart, both in the crowd, eating chips. Isn't that fun? Bournemouth Wood going to Bournemouth in the next round. Uh, a bonkers game uh, with League Two's Barrow against the championships. Barnsley. Barnsley winning 5-4 in that one after extra time with a red card for Barrow as well. That one was cray-cray. And one more game of mention, Taylor. Yeah. Uh, you wanted to put forward Kidderminster.
2: Of course. Everyone's favorite. Uh, Kidderminster with a 2-1 win over Reading. Mostly just wanted to mention them because they will forever be uh, one of those like random clubs that I'm familiar with because they have a connection to Daryl Grove. He played for Halzo in town and I believe his cousin or nephew one or the other uh, played for Kidderminster so I was definitely pulling for Kidderminster in this one. I'm glad they got the win and uh, credit to the mighty Boreham Wood. Let's, let's shout their names one more time even though I guess playing against like sort of amateur opposition you're expected to get that win. They still did so credit to Boreham Wood. Credit it to kitterminster (sighs)
1: syria let's move on um atalanta 162 Udnese. uh were missing 12 players with covid in that one milan got a 3-0 win over the venice fashion brand slatan opening the scoring after just two minutes in that one into milan graham they stay top with a 2-1 win over lazio Uh, milan screening are getting the 67th minute win in that one did you catch that one graham
3: I did indeed Uh, Scriniar has three headed goals in Serie A this season from 18 games that man is just a head on legs if you put (laughs) a cross near him it's going in the back of the net and Inzaghi's team he likes to put some crosses into the box a little bit more than Conte anyway so yeah I'm not surprised at all that he is uh, he's scoring a few with his head this season I just get the feeling Inter are, are getting more and more functional as the season goes on there's just I think there's just one point between them and AC Milan at the top of Serie A, but it wouldn't surprise me if they stretched that lead over the coming weeks. They seem to be finding the groove a little bit.
1: Indeed, Um, we mentioned the chaos in the Africa Cup of Nations, but the chaos trophy for the weekend might belong, Graham, to Roma three, Juventus four. Roma giving up a three-one lead in this one, uh, missing a late penalty that would have made it four-four. A a delict was sent off um, with ten minutes to go for a second yellow, which led to that penalty as well. A quiet first half, Graham, which rather exploded in the second.
3: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this match had absolutely everything: seven goals, and then it went from three-one to 3-4 in 7 minutes some of the goals were absolutely stunning like the Pellegrini free kick there were red cards missed penalties terrible defending yeah this was this was one of my not just one of the games of the season in Serie A this was one of the games in this of the season in any of the big five European leagues this season it was so chaotic that it was it was almost impossible to to analyse the only kind of tactical analysis I can maybe offer is in the second half when it went from um, 3-1 to, to 4-3 to Juventus it seemed like like Juventus just kind of pushed everyone up a little bit further, in particular Locatelli was moved into a more attacking midfield position, Artur was brought on to, to anchor things in midfield and that just unlocked a lot of the players that Juventus had on the pitch and I think it's proof of how Allegri, who was actually suspended for this match, he wasn't at the game, but he kind of has to ditch the negative tactics that have, they haven't really done much for Juventus this season and, and Locatelli is a microcosm of that, he's much more effective going for uh, sorry, he's much more effective being further forward up the pitch, so you get some Someone in behind him, like Artur, to anchor things up, you free up Locatelli, and I think that makes a big difference for Juventus, and it it proved so in this match.
2: And at the very least, uh, Jose Mourinho is taking this one really, really, like, like not freaking out at all and not furious about it. I saw his quote, when we allowed them back in for 3-2, a team with a strong mentality like Juventus, the fear set in a psychological complex... 3-2 3-2 is not a problem for me, but it is for my players. When you're in the S, you get back on your feet, but some players in the locker room are a bit too nice. Feel like we've heard him say that about other teams in the past, and maybe this will be the moment when they kick on and kind of get that that level of grit that Jose Mourinho requires. Maybe this is more frustration and could be a frustrating season in the end. Not sure which way it's going to go, but I also don't really fault him when they do sort of concede as many as they did as quickly as they did and then their captain fails to score the penalty uh, in the final minutes. Reason for frustration, I think. Frustration uh, warranted in this case.
1: So the uh, Italian papers are tearing Mourinho a new one um, in this uh, this day, Taylor. I'm a little confused. He used to be good at defending. And it doesn't seem like this Roma team are very good at defending. They quite often look very clueless. I mean, is this just a a, a reduction in Mourinho's powers? Uh, What's going
2: on here? I mean, you heard him say it, it's it's the players, not him. He is sure. still a good defensive manager, it's just the players failing to execute his game plan perfectly. Uh his last four clubs. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Always the players. Always the <laughs> players. Again, I do I do feel a little bit like I guess as a manager you've got to try to like stop the rot when things start to change and if he could truly see the writing on the wall maybe he should have made some more aggressive changes but I still think that quote probably I'm I'm taking it out of context here and I'm going to put it back into context to say that I do feel like that was a moment of frustration that was valid in my mind when his team goes about losing a game the way they did.
1: Yeah. Uh, also, bad news from this game. Federico Chiesa has yeah. got a um, an ACL tear, yeah, so he'll be bad. out for a few months. That's pretty unfortunate for Juventus here. Um, and Italy
3: as well. They've got their World Cup playoff place, uh, matches coming up in March and he won't be available to play, which is bad news for them.
1: Jerry Seinfeld, popcorn, shame gif from my perspective on that one, Graham. Um Roma, by the way, play Smells Like Teen Spirit when they score a goal. Uh Joe, Smells Like Teen Spirit is by a band called Nirvana who were in the nineties asking <laughs> parents. <laughs> okay. Thank um, you, thank you. You're welcome. And can anyone figure out why they play Smells Like
3: I saw you. I saw your tweet, Ryan, over the weekend. I think you believe that. And this is if you're a club and you have a, a goal music that actually means something, then that's great. But I don't think a lot of clubs put a great deal of thought into their goal music, and proven by the number of English clubs that have that song that goes. Duh, 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 duh. I noticed Wigan also play that. Leicester play that. Basically, every team in uh, like the middle of England plays that song as goal music. And I'm pretty sure that means nothing.
1: Okay. I'll I'll, I'll let Roma continue with their Nirvana.
3: Uh, <laughs> Someone just likes Nirvana, I think. Maybe they but not, oh, did they maybe not used to play Blink-182? Sort of
1: slightly emo tendencies. Emo Mourinho. Um, maybe that's it maybe Nirvana follows him around we should look more into that gents Uh, we're going to take a very quick break when we come back we'll talk La Liga, Bundesliga and any other business back shortly
2: hey folks this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early there are teams that will leave that business very late and there are teams that will operate in between but no matter what
1: Total Soccer Show, we are back. We are talking La Liga. Granada held Barcelona to a 1-1 draw. A lovely late goal off the crossbar from Antonio Puertas. Canceled out a Luke de Jong opener. Um, assisted, Graham, by the now-returning and now-registered Danny Alves. Keeping Sergio Dest out of a job, Graham.
3: Yeah, that that is slightly concerning for the USMNT. I would say that Des maybe isn't getting as much game time as as seemed to be the case at the start of the season. Dani Alves has started the last two matches for Barcelona at right back. He played in the Copa del Rey during the week. And as you say, he contributed the assist from which Luke de Jong scored in this game. And we have seen that as Barcelona, as I've mentioned on the podcast a number of times, before under Xavi, they are struggling to score goals, and it feels like maybe they have struck upon something with that connection between Luke de Jong and, and Danny Alves. So, that might be enough to keep Dest out of the team if, if Danny Alves is, is putting crosses in like that. He doesn't have the mobility like he used to, obviously. He's 38 years old now. Um, but he has still got a wicked delivery on him, and yeah, if I'm Dest, I'm slightly worried that my, my place in that team has disappeared
1: indeed Uh, Garvey getting a red card in this one as well Graham in the 79th minute you know that Pep Guardiola thing of you know do lots of tactical fouls in the middle of the field are they taking that too far
3: yeah so that is one of the things that is becoming apparent about Xavi's approach is that Barcelona are conceding a lot of fouls and that is becoming a bit of a problem for them exemplified by what happened in this game so Gavi in particular he picks up yellow cards for fun he's got nine Um, for the season with two of them coming in this match and that proved to be a turning point in this match because obviously Granada go on to get the equaliser through Puertas late on in this match so I don't have a solution for that. It seems like you need an invisibility cloak, the, one, the kind that Fernandinho has or Casemiro has. Maybe Barcelona need to invest in a couple of those cloaks, but they're not cheap, so maybe not. That might plunge them further into debt.
1: Uh, staying with La liga Rutvan for Real Madrid for Valencia one. Real Madrid still on top of the pile here. Goals from Benzema and Vini Jr. Name a better combo, Graham.
3: There isn't one. There isn't a better strike partnership in European soccer. There, right now, they're as effective and productive as anyone else. And this match was all about Benzman and Vinicius, that just the relationship between the two of them, they are on the same wavelength. Ancelotti has built his whole team around that partnership. And, um, yeah, Real Madrid, if they're going to go on and, and win the Liga, they're still outperforming their H- XG by a mile, but with Benzema and Vinicius, they, maybe that's sustainable. I don't know. They, they are excellent finishers. One of the the interesting things from this game was Danny Ceballos coming on for his first game of the season off the bench, and I thought he was generally pretty impressive. Um, and it just underlines the point I've made a few times about Ancelotti getting more out of this squad, which at this point is probably quite handy for Real Madrid, given that they are not spending a huge amount in, in the transfer market. So there are players that have come back into that team. Militao maybe being the best example this season. Vinicius Jr. as well has taken a giant leap forward. So Ancelotti is just getting a little bit more out of a squad that a lot of people thought at the end of last season needed a lot of investment
1: uh Taylor we had uh, yeah. England under 15 England under 16 England under 17 England under 18 midfielder Yunus Musa mm-hmm. in this game as well your thoughts <laughs> on him
2: Yeah uh, USMNT legend baby uh except for in this game in which uh he played a number <laughs> of different positions at some t- sometimes it was like a 442 with him being a like almost like a second striker he had a lot of freedom to roam around but Yes, Benzema was great. Uh, yes, the, the partnership, uh, between Benzema and Vinny is important, but when you. Completely give the ball away and allow Real Madrid to counterattack a wide open team. That is not great. That is exactly what happens for the third goal. Pretty much everyone on Valencia's team turned and screamed at Yunus Musa. It was tough to see because I think they were showing us a replay of Madrid's second goal when he gave the ball away. So I think we'll have to do a deeper dive on Yunus Musa on tomorrow's show when we look at some Americans and what they did this weekend, because it wasn't a terrible game from Yunus Musa, but that sequence was was pretty rough to watch.
1: Indeed. Uh Sevilla still five. That was the English
2: in him, by the way. When he plays well, it's the American side. When he gives the ball away to Real Madrid, it's the typical Englishman.
1: Oh, honey. OK. Sevilla's uh, still five points behind Real Madrid with a one nil win over uh, Villa Real had a 2-2 draw with Atleti, Angel Correa, scoring from the centre circle in that one. Uh, listener, check that goal out if you haven't seen it. Um, later this week, Graham, Wednesday sees the Spanish Super Cup, the start of it anyway, with a Clasico. Uh, Barcelona versus Real Madrid and Atleti versus Athletic um, on Thursday. Those two games, Graham, of course, in Saudi Arabia.
3: Yeah, naturally. And in the middle of the season as well. That's the, that's the normal time you would have those tournaments. The, the community shield of Spanish football naturally should be played in Saudi Arabia in the middle of the season.
1: In the middle of a pandemic. Makes perfect sense to me. Bundesliga. Um, why don't we start? Uh, we are talking about the Rook here, uh, the second half of the season, which started again this weekend. A bad start for Bayern Munich, losing 2-1 to Borussia Mönchengladbach at home on Friday. Uh, Bayern unhappy they had to play with nine positive COVID cases. Uh, they conceded two goals in four minutes in the first half. Um, Ricardo Pepe had a start to German life joseph lowry and it was a 3-1 loss at hoffenheim for augsburg for him he came on for the last half an hour joe
4: this debut first of all congratulations to ricardo pepe and and it's great to see him get on the field for augsburg and, and play his first bundesliga minutes this debut went pretty much exactly how I think a lot of us could have predicted. He started the game on the bench. He comes into the game, uh, and he comes into the game in the 60th minute. Augsburg's still down, and they end up losing this game. They end up losing uh, this game and, and dropping points. But man, he was energetic. He had some defensive pressures. He was fighting for aerial balls. He was a little bit over eager at times with some of his defensive pressures. But overall, some good off-ball movement wasn't uh, wasn't played in once I believe in the 81st or 82nd minute. Overall, and this is the part that I think we all could have predicted, very few touches, and Augsburg did not score when he was on the field. So it's going to be rough at times watching Pepe and watching this team grow. But still, man, what a milestone for him. What an opportunity for him to continue to integrate himself into that Augsburg team where I really do believe he's going to play and and become a pretty key piece over the next few months. Did did he wear the hat? No hat, Graham. Thank you for asking, though, because I Uh. think that's the most important thing about all this. Until we see the giant cowboy hat, uh, this is all for naught, I guess.
1: I mean, Graham, it's not very common that players wear hats of any kind when they're playing soccer. To be fair,
4: uh,
3: yeah, I, I, I guess just uh, <laughs> what? Oh, what, I've forgotten the name. What was the thing Samuel Nasri used to wear around his neck called? A, sca- a snood. A Yeah, just snoods.
1: <laughs> fair enough. That could be a hat if you pulled it up over your head. I guess. Yeah. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna I, go
2: <laughs> I'm gonna go the Ryan Bailey route and say that I think that's the the newest content on Graham's OnlyFans is just snoods.
1: Oh, <laughs> only snoods. Yeah. yeah, send snoods. Hashtag send snoods. Anyway, um, bro, let's talk about Andre Frankfurt to uh, so Borussia sorry. Dortmund. Three, two goals in three uh, minutes. Uh, t- two goals in fi- in the final three minutes. Yeah. Excuse me for Dortmund to seal three. Rattled by one. the
2: only snoods, aren't you? I've yeah. thrown
1: myself off there. You're reeling. I <laughs> had from Jude Bellingham, this one. A great long ranger from Motorhood as well. After Dortmund and Azar started the comeback. A completely empty stadium in Frankfurt. We don't love to see that, but that's what's necessary in Germany at the moment. Uh, Taylor, your thoughts on this one?
2: Uh, I am impressed that Dortmund were able to find a way to get back into this one and obviously get the win, uh, and it's a great goal uh, to seal it. I enjoyed Erling Holland throughout, but I really enjoyed Untracked Frankfurt for almost all of this game, less so when they ended up uh, losing. But especially in the opening half, I thought they were incredible I, I thought the way they press they made Dortmund uncomfortable at pretty much every phase of play but then not just pressing but when they won the ball back the way they moved it so quickly it was one and two touch passing it was really fluid attacking moves I think they made Dortmund uncomfortable with the ball and without the ball and that is no small feat so really really good job really impressive way to jump out to the 2-0 lead for Frankfurt less so to let Dortmund back in and ultimately let Dortmund have all three points.
1: Yeah, Graham. Can we talk about Dortmund and Marco Rosa? Have we actually seen improvement under him? And we got to talk about that defending as well because we, we know that Dortmund have had that in their in their locker to do some bad defending. It yeah. makes Josie Munoz Roma look like a, a fortress at the back at times. But how, have we seen positive progress here from Rosa?
3: Uh, that's a that's a very difficult question to answer. Clearly, they have a lot of individual quality, Dortmund, but. That's still all I really see from this team at this moment. And that's not what I expected to see from Marco Rosa team at this stage of the season. Keep in mind, obviously, the winter break has come and gone in, in the Bundesliga. So this is the, the second half of the season. I expected a little bit more cohesion from them at this point. So at Gladbach, Rosa's team was always very fluid, but everyone on that side knew what their, their role was. They were certainly more than the the sum of their parts. And I, I don't fully understand what is happening at Dortmund because that is not the case at the moment. And and having Haaland is just not enough for them. So you mentioned they're the defence and that defensive basis is just not there at all. And if you look at the second Frankfurt goal, there are eight Dortmund players in the box and four Frankfurt players in the box nobody takes control of the of the situation there's a lot of kind of miskicks and players slightly moving to the ball but not fully committing to the ball now all of a sudden the ball is in the back of the net and and Taylor genuinely i don't mean this as as a dig at you personally but it reminded me of watching manchester united defend you see a lot of that from from manchester united and it it just reeks of no one really taking responsibility for me and, and that team I thought they were better in the second half. And in in my eyes, the key to that was getting Torgen Hazard on for Julian Brandt. And I just felt Rosa got runners around Erling Haaland. So all three Dortmund goals come from various stages of, of transition. Um, even Daniel Malin, he was kind of used as more of a se- secondary striker in the first half. In the second half, he was pushed out more to, to the right. And it just gave Dortmund a little bit more width. Um, with Toggenhazard Hazard on the left, Haaland uh, through the centre, Malon on the on the right. But beyond that, I'm not totally sure what changes they made, and that is another baffling thing about this team under Rosa. Is he, he he's usually a sharper tactical mind, and I saw a tweet over the weekend that was it was like whatever Rosa tries tactically just never works in any match at the moment. He has to make changes, and even then, it's kind of like a compromise, and it's not a full success. So they're a weird team to watch at the moment, no doubt about it.
1: Joe, can you walk me through how Eintracht Frankfurt did not win this game? It felt like after half an hour, they could have been 4-0 up. Um, Plenty of opportunities they created, but somehow got zero points here. What happened?
4: I think over the course of this game, Dortmund in this one, I actually don't think, this is a weird thing to say, I don't think they were bad outside of the moments when they were really bad. Right? I think they had pretty decent control of the game. They had some nice passages of play in possession in the first half. But then you have Kobel pairing the ball into the inside of the post and into the back of the net. And you have Marco Royce coming back and making mincemeat out of that defensive play and, and losing the ball. And then Maury scores his second goal in the 24th minute. You have those individual moments, and there's other chances as well that Frankfurt had, although I, maybe not a, a ton in that stretch. Dortmund put themselves in the hole. But really, it felt to me like they always had the talent, and they clearly do when you look at the squad, to get a result out of this game. And I think it comes from them wearing Frankfurt down over time. They get Thorgan Hazard on the field, as Graham mentioned. I completely agree, Graham. That was, at least in terms of how the game started to change, a real, really important move from Marco Rosa to get him on the field to tuck Marco Royce inside a little bit more as a 10 or a left-sided number 8, although I think he was a little bit higher more often, to get just really quality attacking players out on the field and let them run a little bit. I think that was key. And so you get the goal in the 71st minute, you get the goal in the 87th minute from Bellingham, and you get that final goal from Mo Dahoud in the 89th minute. But even there were other moments in that sequence, there were other moments in that stretch the last 20 minutes of this game where Dortmund start to look really dangerous. And I would argue, Ryan, to get back to your initial question, that the seeds were there for that early on. When you look at how Frankfurt approached defending in this game and how Dortmund possessed. They started out in this game in a 4-3-3 with Dahoud as the 6. And they really were. Dortmund was really owning possession early on against Frankfurt's, I don't know, defensively it looked like a 5-2-1-2. So you have a very narrow and tight front line, a very narrow midfield and width across the back because of how narrow that shape was and because, <laughs> as I just dropped something off the table here, because of how Frankfurt defended in this game, which was tending to be more man-oriented. They They weren't full man-marking, but they were tracking players around. Because of that, Dortmund could pull center backs out. They could pull wing backs out and play in the spaces behind those players. And they did that. They had success doing that early on in this game. And they had success doing it in pulling players out on at least one of the goals. It's the Jude Bellingham goal. Good progression down the right wing. They draw the center back out on that side and play in behind. And they, Dortmund then lose the ball a little bit in the box. And it ends up being Thomas Mounier who plays across and, and Bellingham heads it home. It's those moments that I think the seeds were there earlier on in this game. It just took a while for the ball to actually find the back of the net.
1: Um, Joe, I'm going to ask the question that every listener is currently asking. What did you drop off the table?
4: I dropped a pair of headphones off the table. That'll teach you never record with spare headphones or really anything else around you, because if you're me, you're going to drop it on the floor.
1: That's right. You're all hands in action. That's the problem, (laughs) Joe. That's the problem. Um, Taylor, uh, Erling Haaland with a yeah. yellow card and an assist in this one mm-hmm. and I didn't notice this but you put on the running order that he was talking trash in Spanish at the end yes he
2: was uh, it it was a, a fun game from Erling Haaland who at times looked uh, pretty annoyed in the first half the second half I think uh, was a good motivator I watched the Mah- Mahmoud Daoud goal multiple times to see if Haaland does anything in terms of a screen he doesn't really he just gets out of the way but then in the dying minutes in the dying seconds he draws a foul uh, from Rafael Bore, uh, and gets a couple kicks, and as he gets up, he, the mic clearly catches him saying, que paso, que paso, over and over and over <laughs> again in, into Rafael Bore's face. Uh, and his teammates try to kind of push-pull him away. It seems pretty hard to restrain Erling Haaland, and we did have another moment when that goal goes in, the winner goes in for Daoud, that he like tried to be muted about the celebrations, and Erling Haaland was having none of that. So, it felt like we got a good, sort of a, uh, a lively performance from Erling Haaland, if not a goal scoring performance
1: uh you know that que is norwegian for i respect your i respect your
2: professional oh of course right? of course yeah. the the mic in this game was doing a lot of heavy lifting <sighs> because if you go back and watch the bellingham goal i think it's it's holland again and uh hinterregger holland goes to get the ball out of the net there's a shove in the back and there are some spicy words exchanged back and forth that the microphone picks picked up i will not repeat here otherwise we'll have to add the explicit tag several times over
1: <laughs> indeed well a spicy game certainly uh in frankfurt for for dortmund they're getting the three points in that one and the title race slightly tightened up we shall see how that one uh, pans it's out in happening. the coming weeks uh graham ruthven any other business let's get to that and uh, why don't we go to porto where sergio uh, sergio concesal we've mentioned uh, many times that his son plays mm-hmm. with his team he had quite an impact and there was a lovely moment at the end of this game at the weekend
3: there, well, you say lovely, but he seemed to be celebrating. So basically, Fr- uh, Concecao's son scores the 89th minute winner for Porto against Estoril at the weekend. The celebration seemed to consist of Sergio hitting uh, Francesco around the head uh, as he was kind of holding him close. And I, w- I was like, maybe a hug would be a natural reaction to that moment and not uh, some form of assault. What do you know about hugs, Graham? <laughs> That's true, yeah. Maybe that is a hug. Is that what a hug looks like? (laughs) Just getting hit around the head? Uh... But yeah, it was it was it was a cool moment. I think it's fair to say, even if uh, Sergio's reaction was slightly peculiar. Graham,
1: I thought it was lovely nepotism, personally, Taylor.
2: Uh, actually, I should say this to Ryan. I'll address this to Ryan. Ryan, uh, I think more Seinfeld references for us. It, I feel like uh, Graham relates to Seinfeld when he's unfamiliar what crying is and asks what this salty discharge <laughs> is coming out of his eyes. That feels like a Graham <laughs> Ruffin. Is is this a hug? What is this salty
3: discharge? I'm confused. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right.
2: Well, there might have
1: been some salty discharge in Paris, Graham, with a 1-1 draw for PSG at Lyon this weekend. Not optimal for the league 1 leaders.
3: No, not at all. And PSG have have now won just one of their last five matches in, in Ligue 1. they They really haven't shown much sign of progression over the whole season. They're pretty much playing in the same way they were Right at the start of the season, when we all said, "Well, you know, they've they've added a, a number of big name players," Pochettino needs to figure this team out, this squad out, and I'm not totally sure that he has. As I say, it seems they seem to be playing the same match in league on over and over again. Um, I did think they were a bit better once Zavi. Uh, I always thought it was Simons, but the commentator on my uh, on my broadcast last night was saying Simons, Zavi Simons. Um, he came off off the bench in the second half. He is a a teenage midfielder. There's a lot of hype around him. PSG got him from Barcelona a couple years ago. Um, and Pochettino seems to be a really a really big fan of. Has he admitted after this game that that Zavi uh, Simons probably should have started this match? He had impressed in, in the Coupe de France during the week, so he's maybe a player who can perhaps. He's still very young, so I wouldn't count him and count on him too much. But he can maybe give PSG a little bit more cohesion in the center of the pitch, which they desperately need.
1: And a final bit of news for this episode, we are in the midst of the transfer window. Joe, did you hear that Toronto FC have made a signing and they've had it confirmed?
4: Oh, no, Ryan, what's this all about? Some, no, I did, some Italian, some Italian guy, Ryan?
1: That's right. His name is Lorenzo Insigne, never heard of him either. He's coming to Toronto, four-year deal begins on July 1st, Joseph.
4: It's a big signing. We talked some about this last week. I really enjoyed, and I want to point people to Allocation Disorder from last week with Sam Staschko and Josh Cloak. I thought they did an excellent job of discussing the context of this move, looking a little bit deeper into Toronto's roster and and what this salary means and how it could maybe be distributed if MLS was structured in a slightly different way and the roster mechanisms were different. It's just a really good episode. I enjoyed getting to listen to it myself. I would recommend people go check that out. Ryan, to your initial point, I was trying to think, and this is why I responded so slowly, I was trying to think of anyone else that Toronto had signed and and make (laughs) it a bit about that, but I I couldn't, which is just really sad. I'm sure there's been at least someone, um, but alas, I guess it's just Lorenzo Insigne.
1: that is the big money deal and you guys you're the big money deal to me baby that didn't make any sense but Taylor Rockwell thank you very much for your contributions in this episode
2: Uh, thank you Ryan Bailey I do have sad news I'm going to go into mourning Fatih Tarim has been sacked at Galatasaray and I don't know what to do with myself I'm going to have a a good long walk and stay off into the distance and see how I feel at the end of things
3: Start the campaign to get him to MLS. That's what you should
2: I mean, do. I mean, I think the, if past is precedent, it will be Galatasaray. Then he'll be appointed Turkish national team manager again, just in time to then be reappointed as Galatasaray manager.
4: <laughs> well, no, wow. Taylor, he's actually he got sacked
2: because you and him are going to start your podcast, I thought. that's. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. I mean, I'm down. If he's looking for opportunities, it's, I'm going to have to kind of brush up on my Turkish because, as I recall, his English is not so great. Brush up on my Turkish sounds like a
1: great podcast name for you and to Taylor. I like the sound of that. Uh, Graham Rutherford, uh, thank you very much to you. And I still can't stop thinking about only com. <laughs> me too. Me
3: too. Thanks, Shane.
1: <laughs> and Arizona Joseph Lowry, a pleasure as always, sir. Thank you so much for your contribs.
4: Shane O'Neill. Shane O'Neill. That's another one. Toronto. Shane O'Neill. Boom. Nailed Good. it. Some-
1: some Canuck action snuck in there at the end. <laughs> thank you very much, Joe. And listener, thank you very much. We'll be back soon on your feed. Bye!